3: This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. couple of interesting programming notes for you. We are going to have an All of It Watch party. That's when we all get together, separately together, and watch a television show and then convene to talk about it with somebody, a creator from that show. So here's the deal. It's the season finale of The Last of Us this weekend. And on Monday, Merle Dandridge, who plays one of the resistance leaders, will join us. And she's agreed to take your calls. But... Let's say you're not into The Last of Us. You're into the Oscars. They're this Sunday. I'm going to be previewing the Best Picture nominees with Weekend Edition host Tiffany Hansen. That'll be on WNYC, 5 o'clock this Sunday, right before the Oscars. And one more interesting programming note, our public song project where we asked you to create art based on works in the public domain, one of those pieces will be played tomorrow night on WNYC's New Standards. And here's a teaser. It was home recorded with a rewired vintage radio from a Brooklyn electronics boutique. That's a great tease. So you can tune into WNYC tomorrow night in the 10 p.m. hour to listen to new standards. So that's what's in your future, but right now in the present, we're going to talk about Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> We continue now with our week of pre-Oscars conversations with some of the standout nominees from this season. Today we'll hear about Triangle of Sadness, which is up for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. On one level, it's a cerebral and sly commentary about power, who has it and why, as the story follows the uber rich and uber beautiful on a vacation aboard a $250 million luxury yacht where the word no is simply not in the crew's vocabulary and every whim is catered to. On another level, the film is a visceral experience that devolves into a Lord of the Flies meets Survivor hybrid that happens after a much written about and lengthy barfing scene on the yacht that makes Reagan and The Exorcist seem like she had a little tummy trouble. BBC writer Nicholas Barber described it as, quote, perhaps the greatest vomiting scene ever seen on screen. The film considers what can happen when those accustomed to holding all the cards, whether by their looks or by their wealth. In this story, a vapid Instagram influencer, a boisterous Russian oligarch, a genteel British arms manufacturer, and a timid tech titan have their power taken from them, either by Mother Nature or by force. The film's title, Triangle of Sadness, is a term from the modeling world referring to a particularly expressive region on the forehead. I started by asking director Ruben Usland when he first came across that term.
2: Well, it was actually when I met my wife eight years ago. Uh, She had a friend that was, my wife is working as a fashion photographer. uh, And she has a friend that was dating um, uh, someone working with beauty surgery and with Botox. And when she was having this date, you know, it was an intimate moment. They were sitting on uh, different sides of the table, staring in each other's eyes. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this guy is saying, oh, I can see you have a deep triangle of sadness. And he was pointing to this wrinkle in between your eyebrows. And they said, oh, what kind of trouble have you been dealing with in your life? But don't worry, we can fix that with Botox in 50 minutes. So it's basically like a term that comes from Botox, uh, Botox (laughs) industry.
3: The way like crow's feet or laugh lines, that's the the triangle of sadness. So how did that term, why did that term stay with you? And stay with you in a way that you would write a film script about sort of the the currency and the transactional nature of what you can do with your beauty.
2: Well, I think that we live in a time uh, when our appearance is maybe more important than ever. And uh, I got interested in uh, a survey that was made with five graders in Sweden, like five grade uh, pupils. And they were asked, do you want to be beautiful or do you want to be intelligent? And I think uh, like maybe like 85% or something like that said we want to be beautiful rather than intelligent. So I think it said something about like the currency of beauty in our time that it become uh, like a more and more important currency. Uh, And a lot of the first part of Triangle of Sadness is about these models that Mm -hmm. have their currency in their beauty and have been able to climb and elevate in society. From like maybe being a car mechanic or something like that to to be a, a well paid model uh, living a yet set life, only because of the currency in their beauty.
3: And it's such an interesting idea because you know beauty in many ways can be a depreciating asset. <laughs> it's not like it's especially in our culture of sort of a, a youth driven culture. I kept thinking that during the film.
2: Yes, I think that uh, I, I mean. If, if you look at, the, for an example, the, to be a woman in our society where men uh, many of the times have the resources and so on, uh, like beauty becomes a more um, important aspect mm. and it becomes more important. And the, the term trophy wife, maybe you heard about it, like, you know, that you, you actually, with your beauty, become someone that you... And buy and have next to you, uh, and in order to how to say portray the perfect lifestyle that you have in some ways. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing that is like becoming more and more like and something that people actually are dealing with.
3: This film has three acts, and so almost a little bit like telling a story. Once upon a time, there were two beautiful models. That's our first act. Exactly. Um, how how were you thinking about what? Each act would would do and how it helped create the story arc for Triangle of Sadness.
2: Well, um, I wanted it to start in the fashion world um, and to start to look at the two main characters, Carl and Yaya. That is models, and maybe is coming from working class, but have been able to climb in class society because of their looks. Then I wanted to go to a a luxury yacht uh, um, where they have a free ticket to go on because of their Instagram accounts. They they basically wouldn't have uh, money enough to buy the ticket to go on that yacht, but because of the beauty, they get the ticket, basically. And on this yacht, they will meet the creme de la creme of our society. And uh, um, and the thing is that the, the yacht goes under and uh, they become shipwrecks on a deserted island. So, from these two very uh, strong hierarchies that is in the yachting business and in the fashion world on the deserted island, they are taken away, and now it's about uh, uh, only about surviving. So yeah. the old hierarchies are gone, basically.
3: These two characters of Yaya and Carl, um, their power is in their beauty. Do these two characters that you've written, Ruben, understand that, or are they unaware of their pretty privilege?
2: No, I definitely think that they understand that. But I think that Carl, maybe more from a male perspective, he was like, "But what about love? And why, why, mm-hmm. <laughs> why does why does beauty have to be some uh, something that you are going to take advantage of and become a trophy wife?" That, that's things that he says to to Yaya, the female character. But the female character definitely are aware of this. But what I really loved about writing the script was that when, when they end up on the, the deserted island, okay, now here come some spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a cleaning lady from the yacht is the only one that knows how to fish and to make fire. So she ends up in the top of the hierarchy. So and all, all of the survivors they are constantly hungry, hungry, hungry. So uh, I was interested in looking at what would the male model do with his currency in his looks? Would he maybe start to sleep with the cleaning lady in order to give, get more fish? So it's, it's basically looking at uh, how the different setups uh, and how the different power structures is going to bring out a different kind of behavior.
3: My guest is writer-director Ruben Uslund. We're talking about Triangle of Sadness. I want to play a clip from the beginning of the film. Carl is at a modeling audition without a dozen dozen other guys, uh, all shirtless, super fit. Uh, their faces are changing in just a moment, and you'll hear as they're being directed. Let's listen. This is from Triangle of Sadness.
1: What was your name? Uh, Carl. My best friend Carl. How are you today, Carl? Yeah, good. Good. So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, uh, smiley brands are the cheap ones, and the more expensive the brand gets, you start to look down on your consumer. Uh, like, if you want to be a part of this fun open man, one one-man-in crowd, you have to show us some serious cash. So it's a grumpy brand, yeah. Congratulations! I'm so happy for you. And if you get the job, you will get to wear exclusive clothing and look down on your consumer. <laughs> okay, Carl, show us some of that grumpy look. No, no, okay. Yeah, let's go. Hey, uh, wow. Carl, you can do it. Yes, don't you dare talk to me. I'm an Aryan übermensch, too obsessed with the image of myself to be involved with anyone or anything that doesn't fit my stylized image of the world. Oh, wait, suddenly I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M. Everybody, come together. <laughs> You can too be a part of this happy, smiling group of mixed skin colors for not that much money. Hashtag friendship. Hashtag everyone's equal. Hashtag happy life. Hashtag stop climate change. <laughs>
3: Hashtag hilarious. Um, Ruben, there's a lot about marketing and consumerism and imagery in this. And there's actually a Botox company that's promoting itself alongside the film. And you reposted it on Instagram, so you're in on the joke of it, that you can get free Botox with your triangle of (laughs) sadness ticket stump. Um, What did you think when you heard about this?
2: About the campaign with Botox? No, I think it was uh, kind of fun. It was Neon, the distributor that came up with it and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, the kind of uh, satire that I'm working with and trying to make fun of everything and la- have a laugh about it and maybe, no, but not maybe, but actually to provoke some thoughts mm-hmm. that is the most important part of it. So I, I like that.
3: Act two of Triangle Sadness takes part on this yacht, and there's this is a lot of it is about the dynamic between these very very wealthy guests and the cruise's staff, and then even a delineation within the staff, sort of the mostly front facing staff, mostly white front facing staff, mostly people of color in the back of the house as cleaners and engineers. Um, each of these people on the ship makes a uh, Makes their money in an interesting way. One of the ways we can't say on live radio, by the way, uh, the way he says it. Um, how did you decide you were going to have an arms dealer sitting at the table with a manure manufacturer oligarch? With um, I'm curious how you decided on the the businesses these people would be in, and how they made uh, actually, their money.
2: I, yeah, but actually, I did uh, I did research and going on one of the cruises on uh, these luxury yachts and. Uh, I was ending up next to someone that was dealing with gambling and betting. And they were so nice. The couple that was dealing with these things, they were so sweet and so nice. And I felt like this is actually a kind of true description of people that are maybe dealing with questionable uh, industries. Mm -hmm. And I felt also it would be very interesting to have someone that had been dealing with selling landmines and hand grenades and stuff like that and make him very, very sympathetic. So I, <laughs> I had an idea about, like, you know, you sit down and you have a dinner, and all of a sudden you ask this uh, older British couple, so, so what do you do? And the answer you get is, well, our products have been involved in many conflicts for democracy all over the world. And it's like, mm, what kind of product is that? Like, well, basically our best-selling product is the hand grenade. And you know it 's interesting because you don 't know one hundred percent how should you continue that dinner should mm. you Should you then like, okay, so should you question being an arms dealer or should you just accept that okay what they are doing is something that comes from uh, maybe they 've inherited the company company and so on There are so many complex things when it comes to uh, socializing and all of a sudden you you realize they are doing something that you don't 100% maybe uh, support. So I was interested
3: in that. To get a sense of the dynamic I want to play another clip from Triangle of Sadness the part where the The customer is always right. The passenger is always right, no matter what. And there's a woman, an older woman on the boat, who is the ship, excuse me, who is obsessed with the cleanliness of the ship. A certain part of the ship she is so sure needs to be cleaned. Let's hear a scene. This is from the beginning of The Captain's Dinner. The Captain is played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, Take a listen. Yesterday, I was up on deck.
1: Yes.
2: And it was so beautiful. Everything
0: was fantastic. But then, I saw the sails.
2: The sails?
0: The, the sails, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And they were
1: dirt gray. Hmm. Do you think it's possible to wash them? Well, I don't
2: think that's possible, ma'am, because uh, this is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails.
1: Maybe it was the, uh, the sun deck roof. Are you sure? I'm sure. Magnus!
0: Visst var det vita, krikvita segel
2: på de där båten som ni beställde i katalogen. Oh. Yes, he says yes. It was sales. Magnus says yes. Yes. Jesus Christ. Well, then, in that case, we will clean the sails.
1: Yes. Of course. Yes. Of course.
0: I'm sure we can find a solution for it. Sure we'll There's another it. example, hey, Ruben, when a
3: passenger is commanding a young steward to have fun no matter what, like just mandatory fun, it forces <laughs> her to go swimming. Um, and it's it's awful. <laughs> what what do you think motivates, at least in your script, what motivates these very wealthy people to flex their power in these very strange ways,
2: <clears throat> I actually spend a long long time to try to figure that out because I always try to understand my characters and what they are doing, and I guess you have to to think of a person that probably is bo- born with a like a certain kind of standard in your life. you probably always have had a driver, you always have been taken care of in every single situation where you come to a new environment and all of a certain, uh, so all, of, all, of, all of that, when that's happening, you, you will get used to being treated in a certain way. And this, this kind of, how to say, ignorance that comes uh, from these characters comes from that they are not really aware of where they are in the position of a hierarchy. They don't understand how high up they are. So when I was looking into uh, yachts and I was doing research, Uh, the crew of the the staff working with service, they quite often told me like, okay, if that they asked the crew to go for a swim, that was something that was kind of common. And it was one extreme example that I heard about. It was that one of the guests wanted to have a tiger on the yacht. (laughs) So they went to a harbor city that had a zoo, they tried to convince the guy that was working with the tigers. Okay, uh, how much do you want for to bring the tiger on to, to the yacht? And they actually, it ended up that the tiger was brought to the yacht and uh, it was there for a weekend. And then when they uh, like, was uh, transporting back it back to the to the to the zoo, all the people in the crew like was feeling like what? is going on in this world you know like it it made them really really depressed Mm. it's an extreme place where you actually are not allowed to say no and you you try to fulfill the guests uh, requests whatever Mm, yeah it doesn't matter what they ask for
3: my guest is writer-director Ruben Uslund. The name of the film is Triangle of Sadness. So we have Woody Harrelson in the role of the captain, who is drunk for most most of the movie. His drinking leads to a bad decision regarding weather, and this horrible storm whips up. And it's this dining scene. Everybody in New York City on the East Coast, it's lunchtime. We're going to talk a little bit about this vomiting scene, just letting you know, our West Coast listeners, ah, you've had your breakfast already. Um, so in this scene, I want to talk about what happens before that everyone gets sick on, on the ship, because I think it's really interesting. The food presentation. They're at this captain's dinner, and it's a multi-course meal. And this fancy food is coming out, Ruben, and it's honestly the fanciest of food, but it's also disgusting looking. Um, It's all sort of gelatinous and slimy and sea urchins with caviar and various, you know, creatures appendages and octopus tentacles. Um, What went into the choice of what to put on the plates?
2: Uh, Well. I, I actually was inspired a little bit about a three-star Michelin guide restaurant in Denmark. <laughs> I will not tell you the name of the restaurant because I don't want to be rude to the owners. I, they, they seem mm-hmm. to be very nice guys. But they had like a seafood menu. And um, it was basically they were eating um, jellyfish. They were eating sea star. They were eating sea cucumber and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not a fan of fine dining. Uh, I guess as captain in the field. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of fine dining. But I think I also was looking for a certain kind of dishes where if you were in a storm, if you were trying to eat the seven meal course, you know, when the etiquette is very, very strong, you, mm. it's very important that you take the right fork and the right knife and so on for every dish. I love when the social contract is broken. So what do you do when you start to feel seasick and the next dish is coming on the table or when you hear someone, uh, vomiting in the other, other end of the room, do you continue eating or do you, do you go to your cabin? What do you do? So I love, I love the, like the, the situation where, when social contracts are, are challenging us in, in how do we, how do we behave? What, what how do we react?
3: Mm. And you have put a screaming baby in the background just for course, added measure while this is all happening um yeah. so as i said the BB- a bbc writer described it as perhaps the greatest vomiting scene ever seen on screen it goes on for a very long time um one why did you want to put your audience why did you want the audience to experience that for that length of time and how did you decide how long because i'm imagining you had more footage
2: Yes, uh, maybe we had a half an hour long vomiting uh, scene uh, from the beginning, but I, it's basically I, I wanted the, the whole dynamics of the film to work, so I had to cut it down a little bit. But I had a I had a plan, you know, and it was that Woody Harrison would play a Marxist captain that gets very drunk together with a Russian oligarch, and they tra- start to play around with the microphone system. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it would be so fun if this Marxist captain reads from the communistic manifest to vomiting uh, guests of a luxury yacht. It's just something in that image that I think is like interesting. So uh, uh, I knew that I wanted him to have the captain's dinner on a day when the weather gets rough, and it's heavy waves like strong wind and and big waves. And slowly, people would get more and more seasick. And I I had a plan also to push it onto a point where the audience feels like now we have had enough, we don't we, we don't want them to suffer anymore, and then I will go ten steps further. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if you do something like this, you have to you have to push further than the audience expects. Otherwise, nothing really interesting will happen.
3: Yeah, to commit. Um, I wondered. <laughs> I wondered also, and although I, I think these stories are really apocryphal, it made me think about all the stories, the vomitoriums that allegedly, you know, the, the Romans had the p- rich people would eat and eat and eat, and then they would regurgitate their food so they could eat, eat, eat more rich food. And I don't believe those stories are actually true of what the vomitorium is. But I did think of that when I was watching this, just these the idea of consumption, and then it coming these people who consume and so much and can consume so much, so much, just coming back on them.
2: I mean, of course, that is exactly what happens. If you push this in far enough, you are starting to like uh, associate to other things that you heard about. And I mean, um, in in some ways, this yachting culture is very, very extreme. And and the the differences in equality and so on is extreme in our world. So uh, it was a part of the, the, the aim that I had. Okay, I wanted to push it so far that we start to associate and think about the world that we're living in.
3: My guess is Ruben Uslan. The name of the film is Triangle of Sadness. I don't want to give you gave up a little way, a little bit of spoilers at the top. And I'll, I'll try to be vague about this. Um, all of these people on the boat and we see a small group of them end up in a situation where whatever their power is, is no longer that useful. It, there's no amount of money is going to make food appear on a desert island. <laughs> And your point is the woman who was cleaning the toilets, as she's reminded, she was a cloy- toilet cleaner, and the best, one of the funniest lines, she looks around, because she can fish and she can cook and she knows how to survive, I am the captain now, as she says. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting that the other character on the boat wants to keep that hierarchical order, is trying to make her still subservient to the oligarch, whereas what she has is powerful now And I was sort of interested in that part of the film, that little part when they start to realize mm, power is different in different situations.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, when um, she had been fishing uh, and everybody's starving, everybody's so hungry. And she's starting to cook the octopus around the campfire. And when she is distributing the food, when she's handing out the food... She always goes like, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. So she gets like six times as much as the other six, seven times more than the the seven other members of of that little uh, castaways. And of course, she is immediately going to be questioned. In fact, why, why are you getting that much? And she says, well, I was fishing. I was cooking the food. I was making fire. What did you do? Uh, so I thought it was interesting, you know, if you look at our world, the one that is really producing are actually le- making uh, uh, less money mm-hmm. than the people that are distributing resources. So if you look at it from a little bit of a Marxist perspective and you talk about like, okay, the one that is producing the worker, then that that should be the person that is getting at least a, a fair share of the of the profit. So she is using a little bit of these theories when she's taking control of the island.
3: Uh, Before I let you go, I have to ask, this is your first English language film, correct?
2: Yes, it is.
3: Why did this one have to be in English?
2: Well, I think that, uh, first of all, when I met my wife eight years ago, she's from Germany, and we speak English to each other in our uh, relationship. So it Hmm. became easier to me to speak English. But Also, in my previous film, I worked with Dominic West and Elizabeth Moss. And we had a couple of few scenes in in the square where that was uh, in English. So I felt like, okay, it's a good way maybe to reach out for a larger audience and and to try to discuss the kind of topic that is in the film with a larger audience.
3: That was my conversation with Ruben Usland, the writer and director behind the Best Picture-nominated film,
0: Triangle of Sadness. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com slash WNYC and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.